high atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Catholic. I'm Jen Morrow, and with me today is Mike Walsh. Come new, Mike. Hey, what's going on? Uh, yeah, let me set the stage. It's uh, what thir- about to be the third week of Advent. I am full. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We're already in the third week of Advent. Yep. Advent. Mm-hmm. It's about to be the fourth week of Advent. I am full of Advent joy and have been spreading it all around the offices for the last week. Um, that is all, by the way, a lie, except for it being the uh, third week of Advent. I'm actually sick currently. I am uh, fighting through it for this podcast. But on the last time, I don't know if I told you this, Jen, maybe I did. On the last time we were both on the podcast together, I was ridiculed by our vicar general for doing such a great podcast. That wasn't the ridicule part. We did a great podcast. We talked to the pastoral department, Mm -hmm. had a great interaction with them. And then um, according to him, I ended it so depressingly, he was, it almost ruined his advent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yes, he. Uh, we were we were talking to the pastoral group, and we had asked Mike Bedix about. Uh, I made a joke about let us know what your favorite, what your least favorite Advent song is, and he went off in another direction. And I kind of, I went back and listened to it because I was like, wait, it wasn't. I, I was, it, it, I was amazed at how good that podcast was. So I went back and listened to the last five minutes. Sure enough, I definitely train wrecked that. It was. Uh, so I would like to apologize right now to all our listeners. <laughs> Who heard that last five minutes and it broke their uh, Advent spirit. Oh, and that was such a great podcast. We had a, a lot of heavy, uh, heavy hitters on that one. The whole pastoral department. Yeah. It was a great, it was a great podcast. Yeah. Well, just if, you, if anybody hasn't listened to it yet, listen to the first 50 minutes and then cut out in the last five. You don't need to listen to that. <laughs> it's, it's good. The, uh, but no, this actually, I, aside from being sick, I am actually in, in good spirits uh, for the time of year. And, um, we actually had an enjoyable day yesterday. We had our staff luncheon, which was uh, a lot of fun. Nice. It's rare that we get to have us all in the same room at the same time, dining together. So that was uh, that was a nice day. It was great. It was the communications department as a whole. So your office and the Catholic Star Herald staff, and you were full of Advent cheer, Mike. I must say, everybody was. It was a it was a it was a great afternoon. Yeah, we have we have a lot of really great colleagues that are that are fun to be around. So, uh, so that that was fun, and of course, the gift giving was top notch this year. Uh, <laughs> we do a um, we do a, I guess what's referred to as a white elephant kind of exchange, where you sort of take a gift and you don't know what it's going to be, and you can steal the gift and stuff like that. You, of course, won the day naturally, uh, thanks to our beloved John Kalitz, our graphic designer. Would you like to describe to the audience what it was you, uh, your gift, <laughs> the gift you, you won was? I thought you said you didn't want to um, train wreck another podcast. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think the, I think the, the listeners would love to know what you got as your, as your Christmas gift. As my, as my white elephant. All right. This was indeed a John Kalitz in, inspired gift. It was Mike's face on a pillow. Um, but it wasn't just Mike's face. It was a photoshopped image of Mike that must have been taken a couple of years ago where your eyes are bulging out. Uh, John has completely photoshopped you as bald and you actually look like, a, a you know, a madman is the best way. It, it is, you know, I have tremendous respect for you, uh, Mike, but that photo is awful. 
And it is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen, which John Kalitz knows and put on a pillow and somehow manipulated the white elephant gift so that I would end up with that, <laughs> which I was really happy with my previous gifts I had picked, which was a Backstreet Boys Christmas CD, a French press set, and uh, a pair of socks with our colleagues' faces on them. So I lost all yeah. of that to the pillow. And I'm uh, well, a little sore about it, I gotta say. Well, be, be assured that even though that photograph is, you know, the thing, the thing of nightmares, um, I, I enjoyed immensely. And the fact that, and I didn't know that he was doing that. And uh, I, 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 I was, because I thought I was gonna win by, because I put John Kalitz's head on a pair of socks. And I also put our uh, advertising director's head on another pair of socks. I was like, oh, that's going to be hysterical. And then, of course, John Kalitz will always trump you in a, in a gag gift. So I have, I'll have to try harder next year. I thought my gag gift was also pretty spectacular, actually. Um, the one that oh, I... Well, yours, wasn't, yours, yours was not a gag gift. Yours was like genuinely, genuinely outstanding. Really? I consider that a gag gift. No, you can explain what was, it was. You can explain what so, it was. So John, once again, this is John Kalitz focused. Um, so John Kalitz uh, sits on the floor where the Catholic Star Herald uh, lays out the, the the pages before we go to press uh, so we can all edit them and see how they all work together and whatnot. And he is famous for going along and occasionally drawing, filling in empty spaces with, with hand-drawn pictures, oftentimes not safe for work, uh, I believe is the phrase, uh, photos or comments on different spots and others of us will occasionally chime in from time to time and you took it upon yourself to take photos of each and every one well not every one of them but many of them the highlights of the year and put them into a beautiful photo book (laughs) it was real like i seriously wanted to steal that and take that and matter of fact i may ask you i may buy a second copy Uh, so that may be a christmas present to myself because i liked it that much Matter of fact, I think it probably should be a staff gift for everybody this year. Actually, I realized that you had Advent in your heart when you did not steal that gift from our former managing editor, Carl Peters, who was in attendance yesterday. So uh, when you did not steal it and you fought that urge of, you know, ruin and disaster. It it really, it really, yeah, it did. It actually took me, I I had to work hard not to be a Grinch on that one because I really wanted it. But, (laughs) uh, but uh, I'll I'll figure out some other way. Well, good. Well, it was a, it was a great day. Great, great. Uh, a lot of fun. And, you know, that kind of leads to our conversation really quick that um, this latest issue of the Catholic Star Herald is all full of Advent and Christmas articles talking about, you know, talking about keeping the, the season of Advent, season of Christmas in our hearts. Um, so definitely pick up a copy. This, this, uh, this week came out today or Came out by the time the podcast come out, uh, December 16th. And uh, it's 36 pages of advice on how to have a, a spiritual advent, which we've discussed before, but this this time we discuss uh, penance and going to confession to prepare yourself for, for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, some advice on how to keep Christ in Christmas. And um, you talked about Mike Fedix, our director of worship and RCIA. He wrote a very nice column about the music of Advent and Christmas. And uh, you particularly, Mike, said that you enjoyed that one, right? I did. I did. Because actually that was kind of where that's ironically, that's where I wanted the podcast to end. And so if you're if you're looking to fill those last five minutes for something that's actually good, 
uh, read read Bendix's uh, article because it was it was outstanding. Mm-hmm. So it was good. It was a good reminder of why we sing what we sing when we sing it. There's actually people may not realize it, but it's not it's not an accident that at any any given time during the church year you are that that music coincides specifically with that season. So I think sometimes people might not realize that. And speaking I, about I also, Carl, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to no, say, no. speaking about Carl Peters, uh, he also, our, our former managing editor, he also has a really great column about music in this newspaper about how so many of the Christmas carols actually have roots in um, uh, songwriters who are Jewish. Uh, and it's just really fascinating to see those two faiths interact. Yeah. It's a it's a great edition and it's, and it is a huge edition. So also, if you need to you know do any damage to somebody who's wronged you, just roll up a copy of the paper and whack them because it'll do some damage because it is it's a heavy. thick paper this week. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so um, so no so that was a great week and I have to tell you before I got sick, I actually had a, a the prior week was very good. It was very good for you guys uh, because I wasn't around for several days <laughs> of last week because uh, I was on assignment air quotes um i was down in baton rouge louisiana which if you've never been to baton rouge baton rouge louisiana i can now recommend it as a destination it is the chillest laid back little city in the south i had a wonderful time partly because of the some of the great people i was with while i was down there um but i was uh i i've as i how can i explain this I was down there because someone foolishly recommended that I come up with a presentation to give a disaster relief services conference on behalf of, you know, that's focused on Catholic charities, employees, and other people who offer disaster services. And for some reason, last spring, I thought that would be a good idea. And so I, I pitched an idea. And they came back at me and they said, ah, you know, this is a good idea. We, we want to pair you up with someone who actually, you know, understands disasters. Because while I do a lot of crisis communications, I've never had to deal with a disaster, a natural disaster. And I was like, okay, fine, do it. And then as it got closer and closer, I realized, what the heck was I thinking? I don't, I'm not a presenter. I don't present. I don't, I'm a fixer. I go in, I fix things. I don't, I don't present to other people. I don't have that personality. So I tried to get out of it multiple times. And uh, basically from day one. And they were like, no, 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 you're going to be great for this. You're going to be great for this. And then about a week beforehand, I told my boss, I said, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you give me something to do so I can't, I don't go down to Baton Rouge for this conference because <laughs> I am out of my league. And he's like, are you representing the Diocese of Camden? I go, yeah. He goes, no, you're going because <laughs> otherwise it'll make us look bad. I'm like, fine. So I went down and I attempted, I attended, um, hold on, wait, 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 hold on. I almost forgot the title of it. Oh my God. Wait, wait, hold on. I gotta get my, my name badge. Uh, mm-hmm. I attended the Catholic Charities USA 2022 Applied Institute for Disaster Excellence. It's not really a conference. It's actually an institute. It's a teaching thing, but it's just sometimes easier to call it a conference. Um, I even got the little green badge that says I'm a presenter. I've been attending conferences for like 20, the last 25 years. I've never got the presenter badge before. So this was like a big deal for me. And it was in your favorite so it, color, right? What is that, green? It was in my favorite color, green. Yeah. Yes, of course. It was meant to be. There you go. So I was down there, and I met a whole bunch of great people. Some people we've known, people from our Catholic Charities, Camden office were down there uh, soaking in the knowledge. 
And then people I've worked with from Catholic Charities USA a couple of times in the past, including one of my favorite people in the world. And now I met this new guy who I was paired with in the conference. And now he's one of my new favorite people in the world. For one thing, he works harder than I do. And it's possible he, he may have gotten more laughs during our presentation than oh, I did. Oh, my goodness. Which I will be honest with you, pains me a great yeah. deal because you know I don't care about how successful I am. So as long as people laugh at my jokes, but I think he beat me. Um, so on the podcast with us today is a former guest and a, one of my favorite colleagues and, uh, and the guy I co-presented with. So with us today are Jennifer Dyer, who is the Director of Capacity Building under the Disaster Operations section of Catholic Charities USA. Hey, Jen, how are you? Hey, Mike, it's good to be with you. Jen, thanks for the invitation. And then my co-presenter for if I can remember, was Crisis Communications, the story, telling the story you want to tell was the name of our presentation. Uh, Daniel Altano, who is the Director of Communications and Disaster Services for Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Raleigh. Hey, Dan, good to see you again. Mike, hey, Jen, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. So, uh, Jen, uh, we we talked a little bit beforehand, but uh, Jen Moore, I just want you to know that um, I will now be working uh, a lot to somehow convince the Diocese of Camden to hire these two people, uh, because as you know, I like stealing talent from other people. So I'm warning Catholic Charities USA and the Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Raleigh that if they end up here, it's my fault. <laughs> you are very good at the stealing. So, yeah, they've been warned. So, Jen, Jen Dyer, um, can you talk to me a little bit about the conference? Since it was your terrible idea for me to be a part of it this year. Um, uh, yeah, I would love to. And I appreciate you making the distinction between the conference and this being a training institute, because that is very deliberate. It is the Applied Institute for Disaster Excellence, because learning about disasters without applying that knowledge doesn't do a lot of good, right? I mean, you need to be able to apply the knowledge that you've learned so that you can serve effectively during a disaster. And I just want it noted that I believe it was Kevin Hickey's original idea for you to submit something to aid. I just wholeheartedly endorsed and supported the idea. <laughs> if you say so, but you know, Kevin hates I when I talk about him on the podcast and he's not here. <laughs> so we have actually been hosting the Applied Institute for Disaster Excellence, running it since 2008. It started in Catholic Charities USA's office with just about 15 of us in a room learning all these things that have been happening around the network. It was mostly focused on um, Hurricane Katrina, best practices, lessons learned. So we had folks from Baton Rouge come up to CCUSA to kind of share their experiences and what they have learned. And we've moved from the CCOSA offices to retreat centers. And then about four or five years ago, we outgrew every retreat center in the country. And so we moved to hotel space, which makes it feel more like a conference, but it is in fact a training institute. That is true. And 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 I have to say that that was one of the, the marching orders you gave, you did in fact give me, Kevin didn't give it to you, you gave it to me. Um, when we were coming up with the the pitch, to what what to propose is you were saying, listen, Mike, this isn't this isn't a talking to people. We really want you. We want to make sure that you're giving them something hands on to work with. So uh, we want you to have some sort of a training activity for for the participants to be a part of. Which I think was one of the reasons why I, you know, I've been a part of a lot of conference sessions where it's just a talking and talking to you for ninety minutes. 
Um, and we did actually get some nice feedback um, uh, from people that said that they enjoyed the fact that that there was a little bit more application to it. They actually had to sit and think about what we were presenting. And if I, if I had been on the other side, uh, other than the fact that I'm an introvert and don't like to talk to other people, so there was group work involved, um, I that, I probably would have felt the same way that, you know, it, it's a very useful conference. Also, very friendly conference. It feels like everybody knows each other. So it's interesting because Dan and I were talking uh, this year. There were so many new people. We haven't had an aid in person since before COVID. So the last one, and it takes place in December. So the last one we had was in December of 2019. So that's a long time. And there's been so many transitions that it was sort of with mixed emotions that we were greeting old friends, we were welcoming new friends, but we were really missing some of the folks that we had worked alongside of for, for many, many years. Well, that that absolutely came across. It was, it was, it was, I've attended, I've attended this institute and I've attended the annual gather two annual two Catholic charities annual gatherings. And as a non-Catholic charities person, I, I tell everybody the same thing. It's it's the most welcoming group of people I've ever met in my entire life. So I feel very out of place for that reason alone. Um, <laughs> but it's it's very sweet. So congratulations to you uh, and everyone who uh, was putting that conference on. It was really great. Uh, so, Dan, I want to bring you in because you unfortunately got saddled with me for the better part of six months as we kind of towed around like our presentation. So Jen came to me, I don't know, back in August or July or June, something like that, and said, hey, Mike, your, your presentation is good, but you don't really know anything about disaster. Uh, you're good at, commu- at uh, crazy communication, but you've never worked a disaster, which is very true. Knock on wood. Um, but we got this other guy that's really good at disasters and he's a good teacher and he's got some communication knowledge as well. So let's pair you with him. So Dan, I'm curious when you found out where we were being paired together was your first thought, oh, at least I only have to do half the amount of work or shoot, now I got to train this guy up too. When Jen first called me, she pitched it as kind of babysitting another presenter, just making <laughs> sure that they stick to the Catholic charities talking points. Sounds about right. Nailed it. (laughs) Um, No, I was excited to uh, have the opportunity to partner on this project. One of the things um, that I was really excited about was the blending of background and experience levels that we each brought to this. Um, I bring on the communication side of things that experience with disaster. And then my communications background really falls more in the marketing, telling your story kind of things, those happy stories that we get to tell um, when we come in at the end of a disaster, when we've gotten someone furniture to move back into their home, or we've rebuilt a home um, and are able to send out a press release and have a key passing ceremony and celebrate that. Um, on And then one area that I haven't luckily had to be too involved in around is more of that crisis communications, um, working with media when it is a little bit more antagonistic or challenging towards certain situations that might be arising in our area. Um, And your experience with working with the media um, lent really valuable personal experience to the presentation that was given. Um, And so I think having both of us able to speak from our past experiences and share that as opposed to it just being book learning, here are some words that you're supposed to listen to. Um, I think we both brought that experience of, hey, we put a couple of bullet points up on a PowerPoint slide about a teaching point. 
And then we connected it to actual real life experiences we had both lived. Um, and so for my presentation style, that is how I like to connect with the people that I'm ever talking to. Um, and so I think both of our presentation styles um, joined really nicely. And I think early on, I knew it was going to be a good partnership. I'm originally from New York. Um, so I'm a little bit out of place down here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so just that sense of humor from a fellow Northeasterner, um, the way we were able to relate and joke through the presentation um, was a really nice comfort zone for me. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm always pained to give anybody a compliment, but Jen, I think knew what she was doing when she put the two of us together. The, uh, and that is true. If, if, I, if you, if you hate it, when you go to, if you've ever been to a conference, I'm talking to the listeners now. You ever been to a conference or an education session and the person just reads off their own PowerPoint at you for 90 minutes? That's not me and Dan. We put the PowerPoint up and then basically ignore it and tell stories. So that's, I think, why, why it was engaging. But it was a great event. And, you know, before we get too far along, I actually kind of want to talk about both of your bona fides. So, Jen, uh, how, how far back does your disaster uh, experience go and where was your start? So I started out my professional career working for Catholic Relief Services, and I was an analyst for the Southeast Asia team. And so I supported uh, offices in Indonesia, Vietnam, and um, we were, so I was always sort of tangentially involved in disaster response. You know, Vietnam has a lot of natural disasters. Indonesia has a lot, uh, had a lot of, you know, strife crises. I was working there when East Timor um, voted for independence. And so I was out in East Timor after that. Um, so I've always sort of been involved in disasters, but it was never my primary hat that I wore. Um, and then I worked at Catholic Relief Services with Kim Burgo, who is now my boss at Catholic Charities USA. And so when she came over, to the Catholic charity side, she asked me to be part of the national response team. And so for a number of years, Kevin Hickey provided me the opportunity to be on staff at Catholic Charities Camden and just work as part of this national disaster response team. And so I responded um, alongside of her and colleagues throughout the country to disasters all over the country. Um, and then of course, Sandy, you know, hit when I was in Camden. Yeah. That was uh, and actually you you told a great story. Um, I think I think probably in a hallway somewhere um, where you were saying how um, even though you had all this disaster experience, when Superstorm Sandy hit, it's like it, like you it was like deer in the headlights, right? It was like it all went out of your brain, even though you knew how to teach this stuff, and you ended up calling one of your colleagues, and your colleague ended up walking you through it, even though you are the expert in this, right? It's it's so different responding to a disaster in another community, right? Like your family hasn't been impacted. Your neighbors haven't been impacted. It's not, it's not that, it's not that you don't care about the impact, but it feels different. There's an emotional disconnect that allows you to just strategically do the work that needs to be done. And so I had responded to disasters internationally across the country for years and when Hurricane Sandy was coming, I called Kim Burgo and I said, Kim, this is going to hit us and it's going to hit us hard. Who are you going to send? Like, what national folks are you going to send here to operate this disaster? And she said, I'm not sending anybody. You're there. You're going to lead. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, I can't. I don't I don't know what to do. Right. And Kim is 
an amazing cheerleader. And so she stayed on the phone with me for, you know, 10 minutes. And she said, you've done this and you've done this and you know this and you know this. And I thought, I do know all that stuff. And I hung up the phone (laughs) and I thought, I don't, I really, really don't know anything. And so I called my good friend, Carol Sproul, who was in Baton Rouge and she was actually leaving uh, the aid in, they had it out in California. So she was leaving aid. I didn't go that year, probably because of Sandy. And, um, and I called her and while she was waiting for her plane, she sat with me for over an hour and just point by point talked through what I needed to do and promised to send me all of the documents. So I didn't have to go looking for anything. And I didn't know it all in the back recesses of my brain, but was, but what was forefront of my mind was all of the people, right? Like, this is my community. How am I going to do this? How am I going to work with this priest? What about this area? You know, I know where social vulnerable populations are, right? And so you start to get a little more nervous about that stuff. Um, So it is very, very different. So I always, I mean, hats off to, to Dan and my colleagues around the network who respond to local disasters repeatedly time and time again, because it is really, really hard. Do you think so let's, let's that talk about through Sandy uh, and being able to have that personal experience impacted your work going forward when you were interacting with people on the ground? It, it absolutely did. You know, I mean, I think before I was much more strategic about the things that needed to happen. After Sandy, it gave me real insight into um, the relationships that can derail those response efforts, right? And to really be able to talk to an agency about, even though you may not have had the best relationship with this partner, this disaster will provide an opportunity for a new relationship, right? You can focus just on this response effort and you can build and strengthen and enhance all sorts of relationships that may not have been as strong as you wanted them to be before the disaster. Yeah. Uh, So Dan, let's talk about your background. Uh, What makes you a disaster expert? What disasters have you uh, had to carry there in disaster haven of North Carolina? We can use that word expert very lightly. Um, But uh, my introduction to disaster was actually the aid conference or the aid retreat when it was more of a retreat Um, I was a new employee with Catholic Charities in my first year at Catholic Charities um, and starting to get more involved in disaster work for our agency. We had been lucky enough to go uh, a while without a major impact to our state in North Carolina. So there wasn't a lot of active operation going, um, but our executive director at the time still was aware that it was a high risk area um, and sent me to attend the 2014 aid conference or aid training in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And so that was the first time I got to meet Jen um, and a lot of the other disaster operations staff. She mentioned Carol Spruill. Uh, I still remember one of the tabletop exercises Carol did uh, around hosting press conferences and engaging with the media. That was my first uh, experience with that. Um, and it was something that we actually brought back and did again uh, spontaneously this year at Aid again. So that was exciting to go through it a second time. Um, and so there were a couple of key things I learned uh, during that training, but even more valuable than what I learned were the people that I met. Um, and so this was December of 2014 when I attended that. Less than two years later, Hurricane Matthew devastated our area in North Carolina. 
Um, as a storm, it wasn't a high category storm, but it sat over our area for three days, dropping rain both on the coast and inland on the coast or inland from the coast. And so the way our water basins work, all of that rain flowed into our rivers and days after the storm cleared out caused lots of river flooding. And so it was a hurricane, but it ended up being more of a flooding event for us than a strong winds hurricane event. And so it ended up causing over a billion dollars worth of economic damage to our state. Um, we were somewhere in the 20 plus uh, number of counties that received FEMA individual assistance declarations. Um, I think we had something in the number of about 80,000 FEMA registrants um, spread across a large geographic area. And so I was able to call on Kim Burgo and a lot of the other people that I met through Catholic Charities USA and through the aid uh, training uh, to really understand what I needed to do, how we needed to get together. And I was really blessed to have an incredible team already out in the field that were dynamic, that were able to learn on the spot, adapt to what we needed. And so we took the programs that we were already experts at um, and really focused on applying them in a disaster situation. So a big part of what we did was food pantry work. And so we adjusted that food pantry model to make it mobile distributions um, and got out to the community distributing things like food and water, cleaning supplies and hygiene items. And so we were running crazy, trying to get everything figured out, but we were really successful with it, made a lot of great partnerships. And then two years later, Hurricane Florence came in and basically did the exact same thing, only on an even higher scale. Uh, again, a billion plus in economic damage. This time we had over 100,000 FEMA registrations and closer to 30 counties receiving that individual assistance declaration. Um, but this time around, we had more experience on our side. I had attended a couple more aid trainings. So I had more understanding of what to do. I'd learned from many other people and made more connections. And we were even stronger that next time around serving the community. Um, and we are still serving the community. Um, I mentioned part of my job being that exciting storytelling at the end. We actually have a house a home blessing on Monday that we just sent a media alert out about this morning where we will be getting a person their keys um, and having a little bit of a holiday celebration with them uh, this Christmas season as they uh, move into a replacement mobile home that we got for them. So uh, it's exciting stories like that, especially around the holidays that keep us motivated, keep us going four years after the storm. So Dan, for those who don't know, like at what point does Catholic Charities step in when, when there's a disaster? We try to get there as soon as it's safe to do so. Um, we had uh, one of our regional offices um, on the road uh, as the clouds were clearing with a box truck getting out into communities. We're not involved in that life-saving work. We're not out there in boats trying to get people out of their homes. But as soon as it is safe to offer some of those life-sustaining services like food and water, cleaning supplies, we get out there as soon as it's safe to do so. Um, and one of the things that we're really proud of uh, here in the Diocese of Raleigh, and I think many networks are, as an agency, and especially as a disaster agency, we are in the community before a storm, during the storm, and after the storm. It's really nice for these other partner agencies that deploy out after a storm. We definitely need an influx of bodies to help us get the work done, an influx of resources. 
but there's nothing there that can replace those community members that are there before the storm hits and you know the community, you have relationships built, they're ready to go as soon as it's safe to do so. And then we're committed. These are our neighbors. This is our community. We're not going anywhere else. And so four plus years uh, after the storm, many of the other disaster partners have moved on to other operations as needed and is understandable, but we are there trying to stretch the fundraising that occurred, those dollars, stretch it as far as possible uh, and help the remaining families. And fortunately, with major storms like this, there is always a higher need than resources available. And so we're doing everything we can to get those resources to the survivors who are still struggling to get back to a new normal. Jen Morrow, isn't it lovely hearing Dan talk? Couldn't you just sit for like 90 minutes in a room and let him talk all by himself? I, I, I was never more annoyed than when he and I were presenting together. And I actually got, I, I lost track of the presentation because he was presenting on something and I had no, I completely lost track of the slide count and didn't know that I had to go up on and do a, do a slide. You know, he, he turns it over to me. I'm like, oh my God, there you go to work. He's, the man's a pro. So Dan, once again, well done. Thank you. And I will um, say those moments were quite embarrassing for me. Working with an amateur like that during the presentation was <laughs> tough. <laughs> Uh, Dan, you can come back anytime on the podcast you would like. <laughs> and this was, I mean, I think five minutes into the first conversation Mike and I had, this is how we were talking each up, to each other. Um, and that's how I knew it was going to be a good presentation. Uh, I'd like to say less than five minutes into Mike and Dan meeting, they were both making fun of me. <laughs> and so that relationship, I mean, it solidified and they hit the ground running. <laughs> we did. Never, so, we, we even Jen, I'll, I'll warn you now. We Dan and I have already talked about uh, putting together a uh, an aid podcast for them to to create on a regular basis that will uh, might facilitate for them. So you never know, Jen. You might get put into some national work to do. <laughs> That's great. So what are you going to say, Moro? Oh, I was curious. Since y'all had not met uh, before presenting together, how did you? like organize your thoughts? Had you bounced any ideas off of each other or you kind of met there and decided we're just going to wing it? <laughs> so a little <laughs> bit of both. Um, one of the nice things that uh, is important about the network is Catholic Charities USA holds on to PowerPoint presentations that have been shared in the past. Um, and there's a lot of work that has gone into many of the presentations. They're not necessarily being shared for the first time um, or presented by these presenters for the first time. And so the content that we had was actually some content that was shared with us from CCUSA. And I'd actually given it one time alone um, back in 2019, I think it was in that last one before COVID. Um, and it had been passed down to me. And so we're able to take the great work that other presenters from Catholic Charities had put together and then update it with new information, add in personal stories, um, and just keep tweaking things to every year improve them a little bit. So we had a really good body of work to start from. And okay. so we were able to review that and then really look at how our individual expertise applied to what was in that presentation. Um, and when Mike said it, I think really the biggest thing that we changed was no text on the screen, but really ignoring necessarily the text on the screen. People can go back. They were able to download those PowerPoints, review that at a later time but really hear about how it applied in real life 
Um, and I think that makes the difference about attending in person as opposed to just seeing it. We could easily distribute the PowerPoint presentation. People could learn a lot from just reading it. There's a lot of valuable information there. But hearing us tell real life how it we experienced it, um, being able to ask questions. And then we also approached it with a facilitation approach uh, where we offered a lot of opportunities for the participants who were very knowledgeable themselves. They weren't coming in, no experience. It wasn't presenting like in a classroom where there's a teacher and these unexperienced students learning. Everyone brought some valuable experience there. And so it was a, a great opportunity for everyone to share among each other and have us stop talking because we weren't the be all end all experts on it. We had a little bit to share, but the participants themselves shared a lot as well. And I guess that goes back to what you were saying, Jennifer, that it's not a conference. It's a, it's learning, it's teaching and learning. So it's a two-way conversation. And And, nope, go ahead. And I would say, I mean, and this year there were so many folks with so much experience, you know, and because we've been doing aid for so long, every year more and more and more people are trained and the network is becoming so incredibly, um, they're, they're trained, they know what they're doing, they're professional. And so it really is a lot of these sessions are a lot more give and take. Um, and I know any session that I do, I'm always the first to say, I am certainly by no means the expert in the room, right? We all have information to share. I'm just the one up here guiding the conversation. Um, there's so much expertise across the network. And also, that you know I floated an idea out there while I was while I was there that how wonderful it would be if uh, the aid Institute made its way to um, Atlantic City at some point in which case if it does uh, just so you know uh, Maura, I am going to send you uh, to to cover it so because I I have a feeling you would find a welcoming home as soon as you walk through the door these, these are your people <laughs> I'm glad to hear you talk about the welcoming nature, Mike, because, you know, I'm certainly biased. I do a lot of work with agencies all across the network. And, you know, we always say if you've seen one Catholic Charities, you've seen one Catholic Charities, right? They're all incredibly different. But there is this feeling anytime you step into a Catholic Charities office of just being so welcomed and loved and and, and so it's just, I'm glad to hear that you experienced that too, Mike, because I think that Catholic charity staff across the country are some of the best people I've ever met in my life. Talked about it on the podcast before that if I'm having a bad day, excuse me, all I have to do is go down to uh, the Catholic Charities office in Camden, meet with some of the people there, hear the stories of what they're working on, or just be around them for a little while. And it, it immediately elevates me. And I have to ma- imagine, I also have to mention rather, that in our presentation, Dan did go out of his way to uh, point out a couple of times that I was scaring the attendees with my presentation because I deal with a lot of crisis communication, of course, and many difficult things. And I kept focusing on all the awful, terrible things that could happen in a, any given situation. He, call it, he called it out at one point, and I, I reminded uh, some of the people there that, um, or I let the people there know that when in my own diocese they refer to me as a black cloud so (laughs) hence why every time i walk into a catholic charities i'm amazed at how wonderful the people are 
which I guess also means I'll probably never get a job working for Catholic charities. Yeah, well. And I have to say, well, well, the official ahead, evaluations are not in. I haven't seen the official evaluations, but walking around the hall um, at aid, I heard so much good feedback about your presentation. And I know that at least one person attended it twice. So <laughs> great job, gentlemen. Wow, nice job. Wait, was that recorded at all so we can watch it or no? Uh, it was yeah. not recorded. Okay. No, it wasn't. You'll have to come to aid next year, Jen. Okay, I guess so. <laughs> Which actually basically, where is aid next year, Jen? Uh, I don't, fire. I do not think we have officially decided or signed uh, any contracts. So we have. Well, in uh, that case, the follow up <laughs> question is um, who can come to aid? And when will they find out when they should come to aid? So uh, we've already started planning aid for next year. We've done some site visits. You know, it because it's the Applied Institute for Disaster Excellence, you're not just looking for a conference space, right? You have to find an agency that is willing to kind of host it and be your partner as you work with community partners to identify site visits, right? Uh, in Baton Rouge, we worked with Visit Baton Rouge to talk about you know, what's happening in Baton Rouge. The governor came, the mayor came, uh, we had General Honore come. So there's really a lot of work that goes into um, planning and hosting it, right? I suspect that we will probably announce where it will be in 2023, probably February-ish, the announcement will come out. Um, and then usually it opens for registrants in, September? Dan, does that sound right? Uh, it might be over the summer. It might be a little bit earlier than that. But July, August, September, somewhere um, there with some early bird registration discounts. Um, and then as it gets closer, regular price, but all very affordable, um, which is very nice. For sure. I think the early bird special this year was about $600, dollars $500 or $600. And that includes your hotel stay. It includes all your meals. It includes the site visit. Um, it really is, we work hard to keep it affordable so a lot of people can attend. I will, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was actually taken aback by how affordable it was when I was uh, on the registration page. Like, I, like I, it's obvious you guys aren't making money on this. This is definitely for the, uh, the benefit of, of the attendees. But uh, going back to the attendees, now, obviously, oh. it's a Catholic Charities uh, entity. So certainly, there's an expectation you'd have mostly Catholic Charities people. But can other a agencies that um, respond to disasters, can they send people to? Absolutely. And we encourage participation. We have Catholic Charities agencies that bring partners. So they might bring um, Red Cross or Lutheran or Save the Children uh, government partners. We've had FEMA folks there. We've had other church partners, Knights of Columbus, Knights of Malta. Um, who else have we had, Dan, that I'm missing? I mean, so really everything, public-private partners, Catholic charities. We had parishes. We had diocesan staff this year. Uh, USCCB gave, I think, five scholarships to dioceses around the country. So diocesan staff were able to come, which was oh, wow. an amazing gift. Yes, it, that was an amazing gift. Um, we've had parish priests come. We've really had a lot. It's a diverse crowd which adds yeah, to the beauty of it. We always talk about it as being um, by the network for the network. And so this year we did a request for proposals where we opened it up to say, you know, what do you think we should be presenting? Who's 
doing something that they want to present this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love aid. I love the people that I get to talk to there. I love the presentations. I always come away really energized. And the work that we do, even when the sun is shining, right? The work that, that is done at Catholic Charities agencies across the country is hard work, right? I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking work, right? And aid is that opportunity to come together to kind of remember that even though the work is heartbreaking, we don't have to become heartbroken, right? There's joy in what we do. We are Easter people. Our story doesn't end on Good Friday. The story for those that we partner with and, and we accompany, that doesn't end the day that they lost their house to a flood or a tornado. And it's just a safe space to be with other people who are doing this incredibly intense work and kind of celebrate what's being done and talk about kind of the absurdity of some of the situations that we encounter. Um, it's really, you know, you, you get to go out and have a drink with somebody that you may have been in meetings with by Zoom all year long, right? And you get to go out and have a drink with them. And there's people that you have deployed with and worked side by side 18 hour days for two or three weeks and you get to be with them in a different environment. And it's just a really beautiful blending of so many different people focused on one mission. And if I could add one other thing, I think one of the things for me that was really rejuvenating about the experience was one of the things we're really focused on, I think many Catholic charities are recently, is not having Band-Aid solutions. We don't want to keep doing the same work where clients have to keep coming back to us for the same reason. There are some times where Band-Aids are necessary, but it can't be the only thing that happens. We want to be looking beyond that as well. And hearing so many innovative stories of how other Catholic charities are doing that, moving beyond the Band-Aid and really looking to change the systems so that clients have a better future was really exciting and what really was uplifting during it. And that kind of, it. My I was talking to my CEO when I got back and many times you come back from a week long event like that. Jen, and I, Jen got out there earlier than I did. I got out there, it was Sunday to Friday. So it was a long trip up early, late nights, um, and you can come back exhausted and need kind of a vacation from the trip. But I came back energized. I came back excited to tell my other coworkers, here are all the cool things that we learned. There were emails happening while we were there. Of, hey, you at CCUSA or you at CC Oklahoma, can we follow up after the training to talk about this, to talk about that? Um, it really was an energy boost at times when you're doing all of this hard work you can slow down and get into a little bit of a monotony of it. And this really shook me out of it of there's so many exciting things happening. Let's learn from each other. Let's share that um, and really build that excellence across the network. And so that was a great part for me. I agree. You know, I, I have to tell you, I was only there for 48 hours. Um, Cause I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I only went for 48 hours. And uh, I was very disappointed in myself that I didn't stay there for the entire conference because uh, aside from being a great learning opportunity, it, I felt, believe it or not, I felt rejuvenated too. I was, I may have been slightly less of a black cloud when I got home. I no, think what no you were thinking, I think what you were thinking was that we weren't as amazing as we are. And so you <laughs> thought 48 hours, you'd come into your presentation and go home and that's it. And you know I what? think- I think you're onto something there. I think I was being short-sighted 
even though I remember how much I enjoy being around Jennifer Dyer when I had the opportunity and that I love all the Catholic Charities people. And actually, well, to be honest with you, I also forgot that there were four members of Catholic Charities Camden, Diocese of Camden, that were going out as well. So that might have been part of my uh, apprehension because as it's well known on this podcast, I am an introvert and being around new people freaks me out. But they're such loving, welcoming people. They were, Jen uh, Moore, I'll even tell you, one of the attendees, so it was really nice. They, um, the the hotel it was in it was a nice kind of like old school uh, Baton Rouge hotel, and they had lined all of the uh, corridors with Christmas trees. So he had a nice little festive atti- attitude about it. And one of the attendees dressed up as an elf. It was the sweetest thing. Wow! Wasn't that sweet? Wasn't that sweet, Dan? When we saw the elf dressed up. Uh, we Long are giving, life. giving people. We give and we give. That's who we That's are, right. Mike. That is correct. That is correct. But you mentioned something, Jen, that I actually wanted to come back to. You mentioned deployments earlier. And um, one of the things that I, I was kind of not surprised by, but it didn't occur to me that it would take place during the conference. There, I forget where the, the current disaster is. I apologize for this. Um, but there is a deployment uh, available for people to go off and assist um, uh, with some case management work. And it's like two week deployments. Uh, where are they? Where are they sending them, Jen? I forgot. Venice, Venice, Florida. Venice, Florida. That's right. After Hurricane Ian, and uh, so Catholic Charities USA used to coordinate deployments. So we would do all of the coordination and then send stuff, send staff other places. Um, now we do, we offer agencies technical assistance grant. We still help with the coordination behind the scenes, but the local agency, the receiving agency does a little more of the coordination and we call it an, uh, agency staff assistance program. So similar, just some differences behind the scenes, but Venice, uh, right now we are working on trying to identify staff across the network who are able to go to the diocese of Venice to help with disaster case management. There are, I think the number is 900,000 FEMA applicants in the state of Florida. About half of them are in the Diocese of Venice. Just by a point of reference, I think that for Hurricane Sandy, they were about 200,000. So if that puts it in perspective for you, I mean, it's it's an incredible amount of people. And so, uh, yes, so during aid, we were walking around trying to talk to all the different agencies about, are you able to assist? Do you have? And of course, agencies around the country, they are under-resourced always, but they are particularly under-resourced right now. Um, And so just trying to work to identify, and we have, New Jersey actually is working hard. The five Catholic charities of New Jersey are working to see if they can identify staff that could go down on a rotating basis um, to fill sort of two case management slots in Venice. So the five Catholic charities agencies would work together to do that. So there's conversations about that happening, which would be just a real gift because they need a lot of help. Yeah. You know, Jennifer, you kind of said earlier that, you know, the group had been together since 2019. And that made me think that, and, and it goes back to also what you're talking about with the resources. It seems like the disasters are just more frequent. Um, there's a, there seems to just be more and more, especially weather events. So how do you all respond to that with, you know, possible uh, lack of resources? How do you keep going? 
So maybe I'll let Dan start since he's uh, at a local agency talk about what he does. Absolutely. Um, there's a little bit of give and take with the frequency. It gets tiring. Um, one of the things that does happen, though, is there is more ability to maintain that institutional knowledge. Um, and so that's one of the things is we've developed relationships. And while they're happening more frequently, it is top of mind with people. So it does make fundraising in some aspects a little bit easier. Once you go five, six, seven years without something, people's memories start to fade a little bit and think, when is it going to happen again? How necessary is it? Um, unfortunately, that pitch of, hey, it's something's going to happen again, really resonates with donors still. Um, but there is a little bit of challenge while we're getting donations, how much we get from them. Um, and so we've had to be creative with going to new funding sources, really trying to see how disaster funding can tie into the priorities of different foundations um, and really make that pitch of this is a good investment. Um, and then the other thing that I will say is historically, um, we think, especially when I first started getting involved with the disaster world, the response agencies were those traditional disaster response agencies with that in their mission. And so it was the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, Catholic Charities. These disasters are happening so frequently and are so overwhelming that you see it as more of an all hands on deck approach where groups that don't even have disaster in their mission coming out to support. So it's also about looking for those partnerships, not that we have to raise all of the money ourselves and we have to do everything ourselves. It's here's what we can raise and what we can contribute. And then how do we tap into these different partners? And so for that home blessing that I mentioned, that'll be happening on Monday, there are six other groups that are invited to participate in it that we partnered with. So it wasn't a Catholic charities project. It was a real collaborative project. And that's the only way it would have been accomplished because we wouldn't have the resources on our own to do it. And I do just want to say, because I don't want this podcast to end on a depressing note like the last one, you know, we, <laughs> disasters are happening more frequent and they are more costly, absolutely for sure. But I did just read an article in the LA Times that said, even though disasters are happening more frequently and even though they are more costly, less people are actually dying in disasters than previously. And so there's something. Thank you, Jennifer. One last thank you I'll give to CCUSA is the support that they do um, and the fundraising that they do and what we get from the USCCB. Uh, that is the only thing that has allowed us to still be serving the community four years later. Um, are those, we were able to save those funds for last. We got some local funding that we were able to use first uh, with the support from CCUSA, knowing that their funds would be used for the long-term recovery. And so now we're one of the last agencies still serving the community because of that support from CCUSA. And we're incredibly grateful for that. Full time down in Baton Rouge at the Institute. I am, I will be open to being of assistance in any way I can in the future. And I will no longer be fearful of ever attending a Catholic Charities event that I, I might not be welcomed in because man, are you all welcoming me. <laughs> so it was great. So Jen and Daniel, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. And Jen, thank you as always for co-hosting with me. And to our listeners, thanks for listening and uh, have a Merry Christmas, everybody. See you, everyone. Merry Christmas. Thank you.